claim your name. God, I pray that as that you will guide every word that he says. Lord, I pray that we will be attentive to your Holy Spirit and that we will absorb what you have to say for us today. God, I pray that we will apply it to our lives and give our lives to you to follow. I thank you for who you are and all that you do. In your name, amen. Just want to thank you again for this privilege and opportunity for our youth ministry just to be on display. Uh, I hope that it's not uh, something that we just have to get through on refu- or on um, Youth Sunday, but it's something that God is able to use and challenge us in as we continue to pursue Jesus in our own individual lives. Um, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I feel like um, that's probably a a good place to start. Um, My mind is in a million different directions and planning for this in our college worship night that's happening on Monday, uh, I, um, my brain feels like it's going in a hundred different directions. And I've done this with you before, and I've just asked you to pray for me as I look to be faithful to God's Word. I'm going to ask that you do that um, over the next few minutes as we just open God's Word together. Uh, and I want to encourage us all to be praying that God would challenge us through what He wants to say through His Holy Spirit uh, as we open God's Word together. So as an outworking of it with Sunday, uh, it is my aim to speak uh, hope into all of our kids and all of our youth. Uh, The older you get, uh, life gets a little more bumpy as the seasons change. I haven't met anyone yet who gets older and, um, and the story of their life is, man, things are so much smoother now than whenever I was 16, 17, 18 years old. Yes, by God's grace, we get through things. And yes, we go through difficult things at times as teenagers and as children, but life doesn't get gradually easier Life, life gets gradually harder. And I want to speak hope into that, speaking directly to our kids and our students today. Kids, the Jesus who saved you is the same Jesus who will continue to walk with you as you complete life. The same Jesus who will be with you when doubt kicks in, whatever, whatever point of life that is. The same Jesus who gives you hope when you think there is no more hope around you. We will have the tendencies, kids, when things get hard, to either lean towards Jesus or to lean away from Jesus and onto the tangible things, the things that we can grasp, the things that we can hold, the things that we can control. And though that is not ultimately bad, leaning towards Jesus is what we know is where we find the ultimate hope in life. And adults, we know this is not just a conversation for students. This is a conversation we need to have with ourselves every single day as we strive to live for the gospel of Jesus in our worlds. It's not a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night thing. It is a a seven-day-a-week thing where we're striving to follow Jesus through failure and through successes. Man, myself, uh, you know, if me, if if you've been around a while, you know me that I'm not afraid to be transparent with you. 
and some of my own vices, some of the things that I lean towards the most whenever um, I find myself leaning away from Jesus and holding on to the tangible is uh, my desire to try to measure up to what other people expect from me. There might be some type of alpha male idea out there. That is not me. Excuse me. I am a follower to my core. I love pleasing people, and I love when people are pleased with me. I'm not that strong driver type personality. I'm always trying to please people, whether it be my wife, who God has blessed me with, who is so gracious with me, or it be my kids. Yes, I feel the responsibility of not being your best friend. I need to be your dad more than anything else, but I want you to like me as well. That drives all of the lectures and the conversations and the follow-up conversations whenever you're angry with me. Are we okay? Are we okay? Because I want to make sure that we are okay. I strive to please my boss. Yeah, Matt has expectations for me, and I do not ever want to let him down. And I'm always checking in, how are we doing? I think it comes from a good place in my heart, but also it comes from a very uh, people-pleaser type mentality in my heart, and I know this. Uh, Lastly, my mom and my dad, this is probably where I feel the most guilt. My parents live in Texas. I moved away whenever, uh, moved out of the house when I was 18, never went back home. We were, uh, we were a good, we are a good family. We are close uh, to a degree, but I don't reach out to them enough. I don't call them enough. When I call my mom, one of the first things she says to me is, it's been a while since I've heard from you. I'm like, dagger in the heart. And, and I know it, but I, I wish that I could just change. You know, but these are the areas where uh, the pressure of trying to measure up to other people's standards uh, will cause me to lean away from Jesus and start becoming a control freak with the things that I can control. How I'm doing in these areas and with these things will determine my mood every single day. My mood reflects what I truly believe about myself. There are times when we go through difficult things and our moods go up and down, but where we rest and where we find ourselves resting for more than just a moment is a true sign of what we ultimately believe about ourselves. Am I a failure? The answer is yes. I let these people down, so therefore I am a failure, and I start my spin cycle where I start getting out of control, and I feel out of control, and it feels yucky, and I want to just crawl inside myself and not go anywhere. Is that what's true about me? I think there's so, we're created for so much more than that. But that's life. That's where I find myself very, very often. Do I, what, do I believe what Jesus says about me, or do I believe what I feel other people think about me? Now, there's a caveat to this conversation. I believe that there are um, some of us in this room that um, we have lazy, passive-type personalities where we... Uh, don't we unplug from life and we just let life happen around us i do not think that's god's call for us either to be okay with being lazy 
I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the work in that area because I don't necessarily have that mentality because I am such a, a people pleaser. But I also want to talk to um, the people in this room who are Jesus-loving people who find themselves beating themselves up constantly. And I want to say to you, stop. Stop and rest in the belief of who Jesus is for you. And whether if you're passive or if you beat yourself up, we all need to come to that place of leaning on Jesus and allowing him to be for us, what we cannot be for ourselves. And this is the beautiful thing about the cross of Jesus Christ. We as people, as human beings who are flawed at our core, we need to control what we are able to control and let go of the rest of the things and rest in Jesus. We need to just do our best with the things that God has given us and trust God with the details, even when things don't seem to be going the way that you want them to do. But let's move away from cliches and kind of move into uh, what the Bible says about this. The Bible tells us, and here is our big idea for today. Um, Is it going? There we go. Something I, I want to center around this whole conversation on is that we, as followers of Jesus, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, we experience hope through God's faithfulness to his promise. Hope is not coming home from work wondering if you're good enough at your job. That is not what hope is. Hope is not um, having sleepless nights wondering how bad you've messed up your kids and how good of a parent you are. That is not hope. Hope is not just surviving life. Hope looks so much more different than that. I like to center the idea of hope so much because, um, because that is where we find our, our source of life is in the hope that Jesus gives. And again, it's not just a grasping in the air for something we can't see, but yet we see God's story, which allows us to see our identity and allows us to know where we land in God's eyes and we can move forward in hope, not just surviving. Hope is actually thriving. Well, it's not a Kaiser Permanente commercial, <laughs> but it's true. Hope is thriving. Thriving not because we're perfect in everything that we do. Thriving not because we will never lose our jobs, warranted or unwarranted, Thriving because Jesus says our life is not ultimately found in these things. Our greatest joys as followers of Jesus is found seeing ourselves in God's grand narrative. How are we doing with this? Are you daily able to see yourself in God's grand story? His faithfulness to the promise that he gave you and me, starting all the way back in Genesis 3. The promise of redemption, the promise of him drawing us back into relationship with him because our sin has fractured that. His promise to walk with us in him, telling us who he is in the midst of our pain and our sorrow and uh, when things seem out of control. Our greatest joy is found in seeing ourselves in God's grand narrative. 
what I want to do for the remainder of our time together is walk together as we see ourselves in the pages of this book that we hold in our hands. We're going to move quickly. We're going to flip around to a few different areas, intentionally so. I don't want to just dive in deep on one idea or two. I want to see us in God's grand narrative. So we're intentionally going to move quickly through some passages of Scripture here in a little bit. But I want to see us in these 66 books that make up the Bible. Man, it's a difficult journey to do so because reading this word can be so confusing and daunting at times. We pick up the book of Isaiah and we read it and we're good for six chapters, but then it starts using language that we don't identify with and we check out and we don't understand what's going on inside this. This happens through book to book to book and we just don't invest in it because we struggle finding that place. But let's see ourselves in these 66 books and what God is creating and what God is telling us through it. Let's see ourselves in all 1,042 pages. Don't look in your Bible because it's probably different than mine, but that's what mine is. Let's see ourselves in over 4,000 years of history where God, from the beginning of time, is able to lay out his plan extremely clearly, even when things seem really confusing, when you're reading his word, and when life gets confusing itself. Let's see the grand narrative of creation, that God created everything and he is the author of it all. Let's see the grand narrative that you and I are so uh, separated from him because of our fallen nature. But not let us rest there and and be unable to move past that point, but move to the point of uh, redemption, that God is in the business of redeeming redeeming us back to himself to get to that ultimate point of uh, consummation or completion. As we just walk through the book of Revelation, that is the hope that we are walking towards as followers of Jesus Christ. But life can make things a little messy and a little confusing. So let's see the promise that he gives us. The first thing that I want us to see um, is that God is a covenant-making God. What does it mean that God is a covenant-making God? What is a covenant? Let's again, let's move quickly and and try to get our our minds around this idea that God is a covenant-making God. First and foremost, a covenant is a promise. A promise of when two parties come together, they make a commitment with one another. So God and his children come together and there is a commitment that we make with one another. And God says, I'm going to make a commitment with you. But more than just a promise, a covenant is more than just a promise. A covenant is also a relationship. Within the commitment, there is a relationship established We are not on our own to accomplish the tasks that God gives us. God walks with us through this. There is a very unique relationship. Let's picture a healthy marriage, if you will. If you will, and um, and, and when it comes to my wife and I, we do not have the absolute perfect marriage. But what we strive hard on is communication and grace and short accounts with each other. And there is that relationship there that allows us to continue to move forward. And uh, and as I feel it in my own heart, we love each other very much. I don't want to put words in her mouth. But there's so much love and, um, and, and moving forward because of the relationship we have with one another. 
We've made a covenant to each other. That's another part of it. God, uh, God making a covenant is making a promise, but he's also establishing a relationship with us. Uh, lastly, and this is not exhaustive, but just to give us an idea of what a covenant is, uh, a covenant is not just a promise or a relationship, but it is also an oath, an oath that God makes to us and an oath that we make to God. I don't know if you were around a year and a half ago when we walked through the book of Deuteronomy together. Uh, that was an extremely um, beneficial time for me to just see the grand story of what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy. But one of the things that comes to my mind frequently is that uh, we learned that, um, that God is saying to his people, if you follow my commandments, you will be blessed. God is saying, my oath with you is that I will bless you. I will walk with you. I will be with you. I will establish myself over you. I will be your God and you will be my people if you follow my commandments. So that's the oath God is making with us. And we as a people, as we saw in the book of Deuteronomy, and we even today find ourselves uh, in this cycle of saying to God, uh, if you follow through on your promises to take care of us, then we will follow your commandment. God, if you are faithful to your promises, we will continue to be obedient to you. We can go down so many rabbit trails here. There are times where we feel like God's not being faithful to his promise because we're not leaning on the promise he actually gives. We make up the promises that God gives us. And we put words in his mouth that he never said to us. But when we see him in his word, he is faithful at his core and at his nature. He cannot be unfaithful to the promise he gives. It is you and I, as sinful human beings, that break that covenant with God. But God is a covenant-making God with us. Secondly, what I want us to see is that we see God's covenant with us through Abraham, through Moses, through David, and ultimately through Christ. And there's other covenants we see throughout Scripture, but I just want to look at these real briefly, and this is where we're going to flip a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to see the first covenant that God established with Abraham before he changed his name. Uh, his name was Abram, and we're going to see it in Genesis chapter 12. But um, same guy, Abram, Abraham. God called him out and sent him out and promised him, I will be with you. And he said to them, we can look at verses uh, 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and to your kindred and to your father's house and to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing and will bless all those who bless you, and in uh, him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all of the families of the earth you shall be blessed." This is the start of the nation of Israel, of God saying, I'm going to make you greater than the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make, you, I'm going to make your descendants more than the stars in the sky. I am making this covenant with you that I'm going to walk with you to establish my kingdom on this earth from here until eternity. This is the covenant he makes. 
Abraham, just like you and I, a fallen person, he got to a season of doubt. God said, I'm going to give you descendants, but he did not have a son. We get to chapter 15, and he is doubting that God is going to provide this offspring in which will start the descendant, um, that just the birth of the, the descendants that God is talking about. Let's look in ver- uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, as uh, we see God reestablish his covenant. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Again, the, uh, the doubt kicks in, and the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield, your reward. Uh, it, uh, your reward shall be great. For Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is at, uh, uh, yes, of Damascus. And Abraham and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This is God's word to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look at the heavens and the numbers of the stars. Uh, if you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God said, I made a promise with you. Don't let your eyes be blinded. I'm going to be faithful to my promise. There's so much in your life that looks like it's not making sense right now, but I am in total and ultimate control, and I'm going to here in Genesis 15 remind you of the covenant I made and said I'm going to continue to be faithful to you. And we see and we read through Genesis the story of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, as God continues to remind the next offspring and the next offspring and the next offspring of the covenant he has made with Abraham. And then we move to Moses in Exodus. If you want to look at Exodus chapter 2, 24, he says to Moses there, reminding him of a covenant he made with Abraham. So he calls that a covenant of what we just read. And we move forward into Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 and 6, 3 through 6. At this point in time, the nation of Israel has been freed from the hands of uh, of Egypt, and now they are wandering in the wilderness, and they found themselves at the, ba- at the base of Mount Sinai, and God speaks to the people of Israel. Remember, there have been 400 years that they've been enslaved in Egypt, and I can only imagine how the, the promise of God has gotten confusing to them over this, uh, these hundreds of years, uh, and God is going to reestablish his covenant with his people as they are walking towards their promised land. And he says to them uh, in, in three, look halfway down at verse three, and um, then we're going to read uh, through verse six. It says, the Lord called to him out of the mountains saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. So Moses, tell the house of Jacob, tell all of Israel and tell the people of Israel, excuse me, of Israel. Verse four, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. In other words, I've shown you myself. I have made myself very clear to you. Verse five. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among the people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you are to speak to the people of Israel. And God continues, and he gives the Ten Commandments and says, here's the law that we are to follow so that we may be in relationship with one another. The Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, continue, and it, and, it, and it establishes the law and the order that God establishes with Israel to be faithful to the covenant that he has made. And then we get further on in history, and we see David. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're able to see the covenant that God reminds David of, and he says it's through his line that he will continue his promise of being faithful. 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. Um, And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. The Lord is declaring to King David, I'm going to make you a house. Not something you're living in, but I'm going to make you into a great nation. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and uh, whom shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his forever. God is starting to move forward in sight and saying this isn't about what the, the, um, the Old Testament law is about. It is all about Christ, and I am moving in that direction, and this Messiah is going to be coming through your name, which is fulfilling the promise I made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. This is not God changing his mind. This is God's movement forward into what he has ultimately established for you and for me. It's coming through the line of David. And we know history, and we see history, we can read biblical history, that Jesus comes directly from the line of David. He gives his life on the cross, and we see the old covenant going away because the people broke the covenant with God, and God establishes a new covenant with us, with you and me, living right here in 2017. We are part of this new covenant, and we could see real quickly in Hebrews chapter 8, I believe, Hebrews chapter 8, 7 through 13, we see this new covenant established. Starting in verse 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault in them when he says, so in other words, this is not God changing his mind. This is God saying this old covenant was never meant to last for an eternity. This is me moving forward into what I've intended from the very beginning. You've broken your covenant with me, O nation of Israel, and I'm establishing a new covenant. We're no longer under the covenant of works. We are now under the covenant of grace found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for he finds fault with them the nation of Israel, when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. Verse 10. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Verse 12, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God is saying it is all about grace and this has been my journey from the very beginning and we find ourselves today in the midst of this grace journey. As we are starting to round third and coming to home this morning, what I want us to see is that God takes his covenant extremely seriously. And we are blessed to be able to see a story in scripture that tells us how serious God is with his covenant making. We won't read this, but if you're interested, um, you can look in these, script, these uh, chapters later. Joshua chapter 9 the nation of Israel. Moses has died. The nation of Israel has crossed over into the promised land. They have destroyed Jericho. They have destroyed Ai, and they are moving forward. We get to Joshua chapter 9, and um, the nation of Israel is having so much success when God is saying, go conquer these lands because I'm giving this land to you. It's going to be yours. The command that he gives them is to wipe out everyone in the land because I'm giving it to you. Don't let anyone remain, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to walk with you. Well, we get to Joshua chapter 9, and there are these sneaky people called the Moabites, the Moabites are from the, it's a tribe of the land of Canaan who were living in the land that Israel is trying to take over. They are watching Israel sweep through and they are watching Israel um, destroy nation after nation. They're like, we don't want to be destroyed. So the leaders come together and they say, well, let's go trick the nation of Israel. Let's lie to them and put on really ragged clothes. And then we're going to walk up to Joshua and we're going to tell him we've walked from a far land and we want to establish a covenant with you and we want to live with you. We're not from this area you're trying to take over. We're from somewhere really far away. Well, they do it and they get to Joshua. There's conversations that's happening and Joshua says, okay, where are you from? Oh, you're not from around here? Okay, great. May, I'll make a covenant with you. Let's establish this. I love in Joshua chapter 9, it says that he did not um, seek the Lord's advice when making this covenant, but it doesn't matter. He made the covenant before the Lord to not kill these people. The nation of Israel finds out, and they go to Joshua. we got to take them out. These guys lied to us. They're from Canaan. They, are, they don't belong here with us. God has told us to destroy them. And Joshua says, we cannot, because I've made a covenant before our Lord to not destroy them. So he doesn't. He lets them live in the land. Fast forward over 400 years, and um, we get to... Um, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 21, where King Saul has set out against the Moabites. 400 years later, King Saul seeks out to kill all of the Moabites. He doesn't, but he kills many of them. There's a famine in the land of Israel, 
And David, King David, then goes before. So after Saul has gone, three years later, King David is established and begs the Lord, why is there a famine in the land? And the Lord answers him in uh, 2 Samuel 21, and he says, it's because you have broken your covenant with the Moabites. There's a famine in the land because you have sought to kill the Moabites on which you promised you would not. I tell you that story as we wrap things up to remind us that God is a covenant-making God and his covenant is lasting forever. The promise that he has made with you and with me as we surrender our lives to him in worship and in honor and in praise and in gratitude, he doesn't forget who we are. Grace abounds. When sin abounds in our life, grace abounds even more. Paul speaks into that thought very clearly in Romans chapter 6. What does all this mean for us? God never forgets his covenant with us, his people. We, today, we are a people of promise. Your choices may lead you to being fired from your job. It's true. But God continues to walk with you and to let you know who he is in the midst of that painful time. Your choices may cause you to be estranged from your kids, but God's promise is to walk with you through it. He doesn't promise you to give the best job that you'll ever have after you lose your job or to have the most amazing relationship with your kids after it's been estranged. But what he does promise us is he promises to walk with us and be for us who he needs to be so that we can have strength to stand. That's what scripture is calling us to do is to stand in our faith with Christ. As we think about God being a covenant-making God, and as we close, I want to read these words from Romans chapter 8 to us and hear it in the voice of promise and hear it in the voice of God saying to you, this is who I am. Here's the covenant I made with you. Continue to walk with me as we read these words. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe that? Or are you against yourself? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who has the ability to say something negative about you because God says something so positive about who you are? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? How many times do we let these things speak into our identity when from the very beginning God says to us, this is who you are, but we find ourselves daily lost in ourselves, lost in our worlds because we don't know which way is up. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
What I love about that has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with the choices you have made to be a good follower of Jesus or a bad follower of Jesus. It has everything to do with the grace that he has bestowed on you when you don't deserve it. Verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who are you? I want to invite our worship team out to come on the stage as we wrap up and just worship him this morning as we close. But I want to lead us to think about who are you? Who do you believe you are? What lies do you believe about yourself and where do you need to give yourself over to Christ as you look for him to speak into your identity? God will never leave you no matter what you walk through. Kids, that truth is for you. God will never leave you. Things are fairly smooth. Just believe me. Things are fairly smooth for you right now. Life will get tough. Life will get difficult. God promises to walk with you and tell you who he is in the midst of your hard journeys. And our leaders, both in kids ministry and youth ministry and all the adults in this church, yeah, I'm committing you adults. We're committing to walk with you and help you when things get hard because we know Let us pray. God, thank you so much for your extreme love for us. God, I don't feel like there's any words that I can even come up with or say that actually express how deep your love is for us. As you have sought to establish your covenant, your unbreakable oath to us that you will continue to walk with us, and as your grace has come through your son, we have hope in your promise. You've never broken your promise and you never will break your promise. God, it is us who walks away from you. Lead us by your great grace to love you and to worship you and to see your son Jesus for all who he is. Let us sing to him now.